Hi, and welcome to Bloody Good Reads. I'm your host, Mark Goddard, and welcome back to the podcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed the last few episodes so far. Um, James Brogdon was a great guest, so uh, thank you to him for coming on last week. This week, we've got another, Ameri- um, another American guest. We've uh, come back from the UK, back to America again. Uh, she is the author of the brand new, really amazing book, Hollow Places, classed as the same kind of level as Del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth. So you can tell this one's going to be a really good book. Welcome to the podcast, T. Kingfisher. Hi, glad to be here. And welcome to the podcast. As we always try to explain to explain at the start of the podcast, it's uh, basically we'll we'll go through your career and uh, yeah, we'll just talk about your bloody good reads because I do like to force authors to pick books. It's a hard job, apparently. <laughs> it was cruel <laughs> that I could only pick three. I, I've been dithering. Uh, don't do what John Everson did and pick four. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to edit out for. <laughs> but yes, welcome to the podcast. Uh, understandable. Welcome to the podcast. And um, yeah, I'll start off as I do every episode and say, uh, how do you get into writing and uh, are you a horror fan and how do you get into the genre? Well, I am a. Uh, I started writing when I was extremely young. Uh, I like wanted to be a writer as a small child. Was you know writing very small books, which were mostly about me getting to have all of the pets I wanted, <laughs> and uh, it, it never really went away. But I was still trying to write a, a novel when I was sixteen. The problem was that eventually I got into college and realized that this was perhaps not a route to fame and wealth and job security. So I decided I would go into art because there was more money in it, proving that I make very poor life choices. I I was also majoring in classics at the time, which may tell you something. Uh, so I actually went into illustration for quite a while, and then I started doing comics, which had the writing and the illustration, and then it just kind of slid back over into writing books. I was doing comics for kids and uh, wound up at writing chapter books for kids, and I got into horror. Um, I was not actually a huge horror fan before this, but... I say frequently that inside every children's book author is a frustrated horror author because there's a point where, and maybe this isn't true for everyone, but certainly for me, where you go to your editor with a book and your editor says, you cannot put this in a children's book. This is not appropriate for children. And, uh, And again, this is a problem that people run into because kids love, you know, gore and violence against the right people as long as they're, you know, the villain is getting theirs and all. Uh, they, uh, Goosebumps, you know, sold a bajillion copies over mm. here. I don't know if you had it in the UK. Oh, no, you know, kids huge, huge love these. Yeah, yeah. They love this. The parents and the teachers who buy the books love it less. So a lot of times I would want to do things that I remember I would have loved as a kid and the editor is like, yes, the kids would probably love it <laughs> if they burned the place down, but we are not going to uh, put promotion of arson in our books. <laughs> and every time you get told you cannot do something like this, it uh, there's like this place in your chest that just gets tighter and tighter until eventually it compresses down into diamond and you're like I am going to write a book where I can do every horrible thing I want and (laughs) no one will tell me not to and uh, so I wrote uh, The Twisted Ones which was my first horror novel and 
it felt really good and people <laughs> seemed to like it. So I was like, yay, I'll write another one. It seems to be, uh, you know, you jump from, from, from quite, you know, hamster princess to, to something quite twisted. It's, it's a, it's a strange trying to jump from one to the other. <laughs> uh, it seems that way on the outside, definitely. Uh, but they're all based on, I mean, the hamster princess uh, is the series I do uh, under as the name Ursula Vernon, uh, just, so people aren't wondering why T. Kingfisher, you know, doesn't have any children's books. And they're all based on fairy tales. And fairy tales are horrifying, of course, if you if you go and read them. And uh, I, I won't bore you with the, you know, fairy tales used to not be for children speech that everyone knows already. But there's, there's a lot of very grisly stuff that goes on in them. And uh, censoring those down was sometimes difficult for the kids' books. There were a few where I was like, okay, you know this fairy tale actually ends when they put the wicked, wicked stepmother in red-hot iron boots and make her dance to death. <laughs> and uh, my editor said that was definitely not going in the kids' book. <laughs> I don't know. You could probably get away with that. <laughs> fairy tales are dark. Are you dark. <laughs> And and you look at it, Hans Christian Andersen, all of his, you know, are, uh, they aren't as gory, but you read them and his idea of a happy ending is everyone dies in church. <laughs> Brilliant. So where did you, so you started off with illustration. So it was Digger you started off with, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, I did a webcomic for, I think, eight, seven or eight years called uh, Digger, uh, maybe longer than that. Uh, Never do the math. It's terrifying. And uh, it was about a lost wombat, which I picked a wombat because at the time I was doodling and uh, the TV was on and I thought I need to figure out something to draw. And I looked up and a wombat took a chunk out of Steve Irwin's leg. And I said, OK, that'll work. <laughs> then it was most of a decade later and I had drawn, you know, nearly 800 pages of this comic book about this wombat so uh and then from there you know i once you've done that very few comics hold any terror for you so i started doing the dragon breath series um and uh i had acquired a literary agent along the way sort of by accident uh it was one of those unrepeatable random events and she was like yeah they're Graphic novels for kids are really hot right now. Pitch me something. So I pitched Dragon Breath, and uh, and the rest, as they oh, say, is history. She won a Hugo Award as well for Digger, which is uh, no small feat. That's very very well done to that. Uh, yes, I'm I'm still a little <laughs> little gobsmacked. <laughs> it's been I think nearly a decade, and I'm still gobsmacked. Real. So let's go straight into it. What is your first bloody good read? Uh, my very first one would be Robin McKinley's The Hero and the Crown, which I discovered when I was probably eight or nine and checked out from the school library so many times that uh, the librarian just got used to basically restamping it for me. It's uh, a story of a very... a, a She's a princess. She's not great at it. She's not quite legitimate. And so in order to do something useful in her family, who mostly uh, doesn't have much use for her, she takes up slaying dragons. And uh, this goes reasonably well until 
the the because dragons in this world are you know about the size of large dogs until one that's as big as a house wakes up and she has to go fight it and it uh, it doesn't go well it, it it spoke to all of my i am a misunderstood child preteen teenager you know the the whole way up mm. angst when i was young and it still is one of my top comfort reads of all time Brilliant. not one i've heard of so definitely one i'm going to kind of look out for which yeah nice nice to find ones that i don't actually know <laughs> oh yeah i imagine if you've done this a while you've, you get a lot of the same uh, same books rats have been picked that's been that's been mentioned james herbert's rats been mentioned about five times so far <laughs> uh, see my mind went immediately to uh miss frisbee and the rats of nim which is also an excellent book and and only didn't make <laughs> the cut book. narrowly has anyone else, has anyone said Watership Down? Because that was the other Not one that yet. I was like real close. <laughs> I'm sure it will come up. <laughs> yeah, it's quite dark, but oh, it's, a, huh? it's, a, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> dark. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's the rabbits act pretty much like rabbits. There's that whole really creepy prophetic rabbit in the warren that where they know they're being murdered. And yeah, well, anyway, that's it. But that wasn't a book <laughs> I picked, so I'll stop talking about it. So The Twisted Ones was your first horror book that you released. Um, you had a couple of other books beforehand. Are they more fantasy? Uh, you had Black Dogs, uh, Seventh Bride. Yes. Uh, I wrote a lot of fantasy, a lot of fairy tale retellings. And in fact, people will, uh, some of my readers will say there are lots of horror elements in those. I can see it when someone points it out to me, but I have this bad habit of if something seems like the logical extension of a, a train of thought, it doesn't occur to me that it might be really horrific. Um, the, for example, a uh, recent novel uh, that uh, is a sort of fantasy romance uh, called Paladin's Grace, and in it there are uh, golems that are killing people. But I stopped and thought about it for a while and thought, okay, if I'm in a pre-industrial society, a big kiln that's big enough to fire something the size of a human is really hard to come by. And if you've ever done ceramics, the things just don't, you know, there'd be cracking, there'd be splitting. It's really hard to fire a big, a, a thing the size of a person. And so I thought, ideally, you'd want a much smaller kiln. And you'd want to do something smaller. So what would be the easiest way to do it? Well, the only thing you really need for the golem is the head, because the head is what, you know, controls everything. So why not just make clay heads in a kiln, and then you can just stick them in any convenient dead bodies you have lying around. And that way you don't have to, like, try to, you know, fire at great expense a, a, a whole clay body. You can just, once you've, once the, you know, corpse has fallen apart, you can just take the clay head mm -hmm. off and stick it in another person. And um, this all seemed entirely logical and straightforward to me and ar arose normally out of how difficult it is to fire large objects in a kiln. I was told this counts as horror. <laughs> it's a little bit. It's, it's, it's dark fantasy. Let's call it dark fantasy. <laughs> there are a lot of, of, let us say, very dark elements in, uh, in some of my books. I am told that I, I keep trying to write uh, what I claim will be a fluffy romance, and people are like, okay, there were a lot of severed heads in this fluffy romance, way more than is normal. So, well, nothing uh, says romance like severed heads. So. Take that as you will. <laughs> well, I, I mean... <laughs> it's got to be something that stands in the way of true love and a severed head is as good oh, yeah, as anything. 
when was it that you kind of thought, I'm going to go from fantasy and I'll go into horror? Because what kind of what was the kind of inspiration behind the twisted ones? I was I was sitting in a coffee shop and thought, I wonder if I could write an actual horror horror novel. And something that was uh, sort of set contemporary and not that is not, you know, just dark fantasy, because I mostly fantasy is my default. And I was like, okay, I'm going to write something that's set like now here in North Carolina, which is where I happen to live. And uh, I don't really remember what exactly made me do it. It was just a completely random thought that I could write a horror novel set here if if Stephen King can set everything in Maine damn it I could set one in North Carolina and uh, so I just started and I got oh I don't know I I sort of I tend to write by noodling around on something for a while I'll get you know 5,000 words I'll be like that's interesting Uh, I'll come back to it later Mm. you know it might be a couple weeks later it might be a couple years later and be like oh yeah this was interesting hey I know what happens next now uh, and I'll write, you know, five or ten more. There's usually a point right around 60,000 words where the story is like, okay, I'm nearly done. Everything is in place. And then I just have to kind of hang on until the finish line. But to get to that point, unless I'm on a deadline, uh, can take years. I have fairly severe ADHD, which probably accounts for this, but I switch between stories mm. constantly. There was a point, in fact, where I was trying to write the Hollow Places and the Last of the Hamster Princess books simultaneously, and I had both Word files open, and I would write a couple paragraphs on one, and then I would switch to the other <laughs> one and write a couple paragraphs on Just that. Just don't get mixed up. That'll, that's what you got, that will go wrong with that point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I didn't seem to have a problem, so, yeah. Because that'll be a shocker. I mean, I had the usual problem where the editor is like, this is kind of dark for a children's book, and I'm like, oh, come on. No, wrong book. (laughs) Cool. Right, so let's go into our second pick then. Let's uh, let's, uh, see what you've picked. We'll walk to us today. Oh, yes. The second one I would pick is P.C. Hodgel's Godstock. Uh, which is a fantasy novel, and I picked this one up when I was, you know, a preteen, I think, and again, it is a, a, a comfort read, but it is about a thief who is kind of strange. It, it, it's the first one of a very long series, in fact, but this one is very charming and fun. Uh, she's in this city that is completely full of gods. There's a god of everything. There are thousands of temples, and she is trying to figure out what makes the gods tick, what makes them work. And meanwhile, you know, there's horrible evil stalking her. She has acquired a book that is uh, alive and bound in, in human skin that is still alive. Like when she drops it, it bruises. And uh, it's so there's some kind of unsettling elements but it's it's fun it's fast-paced and uh it's just a really charmingly weird city and this protagonist who is constantly i just want everything to slow down for a little bit this is ridiculous i am extremely competent and can handle all of this but i would just like a few minutes where everything is not happening Mm. all at once uh kind of reminds me of uh Geralt and the Witcher yeah. who just at all times wants whatever is happening not to be happening right now. It's 
great example actually which is such a such a great series and it's such a great game as well oh yeah yeah i've i've really enjoyed the uh the tv show uh i am i am not going to say that you know the book is better or worse because i've not actually read the books uh, but uh i will watch the tv show all day long just to watch the actor go <laughs> see i've never i've never read the books either yeah such such emotive <laughs> grunts never read the books either but i've played the uh the games but the games are fantastic yeah so because you're more kind of dark fantasy led is, is there any kind of authors around in the kind of the fantasy or, or or horror uh genre that kind of inspired you uh interesting question um I, I, of course, you know, read Stephen King, uh, as probably did we all, but the first one I read, and for a long time, the only one was Eyes of the Dragon, which is, you know, the dark fantasy one. And I enjoyed it, but uh, it's, I, I was like, this is not particularly scary. And I didn't actually pick up any of his other books till I was an adult and was like, oh, okay, this is why everybody's into Stephen King. I, I enjoy Dean Koontz. Uh, for what it is, but very rarely do any of his books scare me. Um, it is a comfort to know the dog will always live through them. Uh, the dog always lives through my book too. Books too. I, I can't kill the pets. It's a. It's a. This should be a rule. <laughs> if you, if any of you were listening and wondering, I promise the dog will live. In fact, I sent the book to my editor with a a summary that said just the, instead of a, a synopsis of the book, it just said the dog lives. So. Uh, I, I feel strongly about this. Oh, that's great. The uh, uh, who else? I, I'm sure that H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, of course. Uh, I'm sure everyone says that. I read a lot uh, when I was a teenager, and uh, you know, cosmic horror is always fun. My favorite one was uh, at the Mountains of Madness, possibly because uh, art history saves the day. And there's very few books where it all hinges on art history. <laughs> and Lovecraft is a legend. He's a legend in the business. So he's you know, inspired so much of the genre. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I really like what other people are doing with it. I like that uh, that many of them have, many people have managed to improve upon cosmic horror and leave some of Lovecraft's more regrettable elements behind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that seems like the most tactful way to phrase yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not much else you can really say to that one. We all Me know too. what we're it's talking the, uh, about. The unmentionable thing. <laughs> <Yes>. in <this. laughs> I am. I am glad that other people have managed to to shoot that particular elephant in the room so nicely. We don't have to mention it. It's fine. Happy. <laughs> There's a really good book that came out recently. It was a uh, James Lovegrove. He did the Cthulhu case books, the Sherlock Holmes kind of Lovecraft inspired books, which are really really good. Highly recommend them if you if you like Lovecraft. I've uh, actually been catching up on The Laundry Files by Charles Strauss, which are, uh, I don't know if they qualify as horror, maybe uh, uh, sci-fi procedurals, but uh, that have the real Lovecraft element in them. And uh, th those are a lot of fun, too. So your latest book, The Hollow Places, that's just come out on the opening UK, I think it's the 3rd of November, so it's been out for a couple of weeks now over here. Uh, October in America, I believe, is Simon and Schuster. And we got it over here in Titan. Um, tell us a little bit about the book. It's cosmic horror, isn't it? Uh, this is, yes, it is uh, it is a retelling or pastiche or homage, however you want to phrase it, to Algernon Blackwood's The Willows, which is one of the great works of cosmic horror. 
uh, and it's uh, it's superficially uh, the Willows is it's basically you know two guys get stuck on an island where that's full of willow trees or willow bushes that seem to be moving independently, and they're getting glimpses of terrible things happening. And I enjoyed the the story or the novella. I'm not sure what it qualifies as uh, a lot, and it's. Uh, I have read a lot of pulp horror these days. I, as an adult, I tried to catch up on all the reading I'd missed, but uh, very few of them stick with me. Uh, there is a, a certain sameness, particularly if you're if you're sort of shotgunning, you know, three and four stories a night, as I was. But every now and then, one stayed with me and actually scared me. And the Willows, the Willows is unsettling. It's there's there's elements about it that is just. Uh, this creepy otherworldness and this sense that there's this different world that is just completely full of these creepy willows and whatever things live in them. And I was really interested in that world. So I wanted to write a story where the protagonist uh, ends up there. And that led to the hollow places where a, the heroine, uh, she, newly divorced, moves in with her uncle who has a weird little roadside museum. And I don't know, I, I think you have some of those in the UK, maybe not roadside, but uh, in the US, you you find them in like every small town. There's just a weird little museum full of, you know, bad taxidermy and whatever the person was interested in. We, we have a few places in the UK like that. <laughs> uh, in Ireland, the Cork Butter Museum. I, I went to and uh, similar thing, uh, very thematic about butter. And I just love the passion that these little museums have for this one obscure topic. Like they are really into butter. It's, it's a fact that it's very British of us, is he? Like, we like one thing and we'll really go for that one thing. Like um, York in, in Yorkshire, a town called York, it's, there's five or six different places that just museums about chocolate there yeah exactly uh one of my favorite ones here is uh has the the usual bad taxidermy and some other stuff but they also have this massive collection of barbed wire like okay. barbed wire you know displays barbed wire through the ages and i'm like you you have found your your calling <laughs> Uh, another great one, uh, the Albuquerque Rattlesnake Museum has live r r rattlesnakes, which is fabulous, but they also had extra space that wasn't taken up by rattlesnakes. So they just, they built like a little shrine to Steve Irwin. They have some, some random Hopi Kachina dolls. They're, you know, just, just stuff shoved in corners. Uh, it's mostly for the rattlesnakes, but you know, you're also like, oh, what is this strange thing? <laughs> Anyway, so it's a little museum like that. The heroine winds up there uh, because she doesn't want to move back in with her parents, which, you know, I sympathize. And she's helping run the museum. And one day she finds that there's a weird hole in the wall and it leads to a very strange place. And it turns out it is the the world of, of willows and uh, willow gods and things that live in there. And so she goes in and uh, with the barista from the coffee shop next door and they get kind of stuck in there and start finding out what exactly it is that lives in that world and what those things are doing to people and that they can hear thoughts. And it's, uh, so it's, it's hope it's, it's cosmic horror on a small and personal scale, I suppose. Okay, cool. 
it must be nice to have it compared to something like uh, Del Toro's Pan's Labyrinth because that's very fantastical, very uh, dark fantasy. I I just assume people are being very nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like you can't possibly put me next to Pan's Labyrinth. That was genius. Such an amazing film. Such an amazing film. Oh yeah, yeah. I I uh, yeah. <laughs> the imagery still sticks with me years later. I can probably skip the cheek sewing scene yeah. for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. I... That one went on about 30 seconds longer than it needed to. <laughs> so, your final book pick. My final book pick is, uh, and again, this is, uh, this is fantasy, but this is Diane Duane's The Book of Night with Moon. And this is, uh, it seems like it should be a very sweet book. It starts with, you know, uh, cat wi- wizards, uh, cat wizards who are cats that are uh, controlling the, uh, there's a whole world of, of wizardry, uh, much, much better than Harry Potter, damn it. And uh, so there's these cats who live in New York and are, uh, they're in charge of the transit system. And so they uh, basically do the magic that controls all of the teleporting gates that the wizards use. And it's, again, seems like it should be a very sweet sort of fluffy thing. And it gets weirder and darker and weirder and darker. And at the end, you know, they are they're fighting giant serpent gods with and there are dinosaurs that have been, you know, underground breeding and uh, half of them are being raised to be eaten by the other half. And it's turned into this like sort of cannibalistic dark horror with, you know, these these cats who by now you're you're, you know all aboard with and uh you know are care about a lot who are trying to fight off an ancient god uh on a throne uh, surrounded by worshiping cannibalistic dinosaurs and um uh, you get eased into it but it's it's really enjoyable (laughs) cool that sounds really cool It really is. Uh, Diane Duane's, uh all of her wizardry books, uh, she did a whole series uh, that started with So You Want to Be a Wizard, mm-hmm. which were uh, kid books. But then she did a couple set in the same universe for adults. And the first one is The Book of Night with Moon. And uh, yeah, very readable, uh, goes very weird places. Yeah. She also did all the best Star Trek novels, uh, except for like uh, John Ford and, uh, and Janet Kagan did some good ones mm-hmm. too. But so if you like media tie-ins hers were awesome <laughs> i'll be definitely looking at that that sounds really awesome i like the sound of that one going back to kind of your illustration is there any illustrators that kind of you look up to or kind of really influenced you oh goodness uh lots of them uh james christensen i really liked uh he passed away a while ago he did these very colorful very vivid uh fantastical paintings that um and he was uh, he could have been a pre-raphaelite uh i think he wanted to be a pre-raphaelite really fun stuff but very detailed and uh, huge canvases really good at painting humans uh, really enjoy his work. And the thing is that uh, as an artist, you start out admiring realism because you can't do it yet. 
and the better you get at it, the more you start to, once you can, you know, draw a human that looks more or less like a human, you start getting interested in all of the artists who are not uh, working mm -hmm. like that. So, uh, gosh, I, I have so many art books piled up. Uh, one I just found recently is uh, Jeffrey Allen Love, who does these very interesting sort of... Um, uh, stylized black and gray kind of cutouts that uh, have really strong graphic design. Uh, they're not realistic in any way, but they're they're fascinating. Brom is is a classic. Uh, he does lots of horror illustrations. Like many horror horror adjacent people, is also apparently just the nicest person. Uh, I swear that uh, most horror authors uh, get all of the the dark stuff out on the page or the canvas and are, you know, super chill as a result. I, I've met so many different horror writers and people in, in the horror kind of genre, and it's the nicest selection of people you're ever going to meet. I've always said that. They're some of the nicest people I've ever, ever met. Um, it's a strange one, <laughs> but it is true. Yeah, and, uh, and, and this is not to say that, you know, children's book authors are all – uh, repressed serial killers, because of course that was only me. But uh, uh, okay, and a couple other people I, I know who would think it was funny. I just grabbed it. But just uh, horror authors tend to be so chill. So let's get it out of the system, like you said. <laughs> so what are you working on uh, coming up? Well, uh, I have a retelling of the Fall of the House of Usher. I've been fooling around with that's uh, a lot of fun and. Um, I had no idea. I, I really like sort of revisiting pulp stories uh, because a lot of them are so short, but they loom so large. Uh, like Fall of the House of Usher is actually a very short book. And there's been so much, or a, a short story, I guess, serial. And there's been so much like media about it and movies and whatnot. Like, there's only maybe a paragraph where the dead woman has returned uh, from the grave and has broken out of her tomb and stuff. And then the, I think Usher drops dead and the narrator flees into the night and it's over. And I'm like, wow, there is, there's a lot less here than I thought. And that's kind of frustrating, I think, because you find that you've filled in so much of your own, but it's also great because if you're going to write a retelling, you've already filled in so much of your own. You just have to get that on the page. And, uh, there's so many, so much you can do and to, uh, to go, okay, well, why exactly did she, was she buried alive? You know, what, what was, what was going on with her? What, what was she sick with? What is up with the dark tarn that the house falls into? Uh, why are there so many, references to horrible funguses and uh, so they all kind of you know come together although i i there is some horrible fungus in this although and i admit i almost uh, abandoned it for a while because uh sylvia um, garcia moreno i think's uh mexican gothic came out which is takes mushrooms to places that <laughs> mushrooms had not previously gone and i was like i don't think i can Wow, did, did they have just owned the mushroom? I I'm gonna go sit over here for a little bit. <laughs> I'll leave my mushroom for now. <laughs> the time for mushroom. It's all like all good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, again, 
thank you so much for coming on. It has been so amazing talking to you. You've got some really good choices, and uh, I'm so going to look out for the book of Night with Moon because that sounds amazing. So, oh, a lot <laughs> of fun. Thank you for having me. No worries. And where can people find you on social medias? Uh, you can find links to most of my books uh, on Red Wombat Studio, which will have the comics, the books for kids, the books for adults, everything like that. Uh, and one of these days I will update it and put the hollow places on. I feel guilty. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter, which is where I mostly live. I am Ursula V, U-R-S-U-L-A-V. Uh, please be aware that if your small child is a Dragon Breath fan, you probably don't want them to follow me on Twitter <laughs> because I swear a lot and one of my dearest friends is a sheep farmer. So uh, today we have been discussing she uh, frozen sheep semen and straws and <laughs> the <mail>. difficulties <laughs> of smuggling that from Europe. So uh, yeah, just uh, it, it's, it's more an adult uh, thing, but that's <laughs> the easiest place to find me. Awesome. Awesome. Again, um, so again, the new book, Hollow Places, is now out in the UK and it's already out in America as well. So do go and check it out. Um, Amazon, Waterstones, um, local bookshops as well, if you can. At the moment, it is so hard at the moment for all shops, but you know, local small bookshops are ones that are suffering a lot as well. So do go and, and see what you can find. I will also say the uh, Titan UK cover is unbelievably spectacular. Is like this amazing. is the best cover I've ever had on a book. I'll always say with Titan, their book covers are bloody amazing. I love the covers, the covers they do at Titan. No, I found the, the I, I tracked down their designer finally on Twitter and I think just sort of gibbered at her for a bit going, oh my God, you are a genius. <laughs> <laughs> so we had um, James Brogdon, um, who's also a Titan. He was uh, on last episode and um, the, the artwork they did for his books are amazing as well. So yeah, always say to Titan, you're always amazing. I always... Uh, Always in good hands at Titan. So, <laughs> oh um, yeah, awesome. So again, thank you so much. Do go and check out um, the new book from T Kingfisher. It is uh, it is amazing. Uh, halfway through it myself at the moment, and I'm bloody enjoying it. Um, but yeah, so yeah. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. And as always, we are here to promote as well our amazing sponsor, Abominable Book Club. Uh, every week they've been sponsoring us and they've been pushing out some amazing book boxes as well. So, yeah, here goes my live uh, my live promotion because I'm never, never, never very good at doing. <laughs> I uh, when when I do podcasts and have to promote something live, I working out the the clever segue is the worst. <laughs> There's never a good segue. <laughs> I should put it to the end. I should really put it in the middle, really. But um, yeah, but yeah, a Bonable Book Club, an amazing book subscription box, the monthly box. Um, we've been getting it for the last two months here at Snake Buy as well. Uh, mine was the first first month, and uh, Niall from the Horrorcast has got the second book box. Which, if you go onto our Twitter page, we had to find it. You can find us over on Twitter, as always, at Snakebite Horror uh, and at Bloody Good Reads. But the Abominable Book Club, amazing, two different levels of book boxes. You've got the Bare Bones box, which is just just the books, or the Full Guts box, which we always recommend. Get a brand new book, a wrapped mystery secondhand book, which is normally really really good um a luxury snack from made in the uk uh you get a copy of one of the big magazines as well black static garstins or hellbore and yeah you get some amazing stuff in there it is the it is all 
the greatness of dark magic inside a haunted bookshop summoned to your doorstep just in one big box. Um, you can get 10% off as well with us, uh, the code Lady Goodreads. So go and get your box, get your 10% off. Stay subscribed because you're going to get some amazing books coming up. The last book they just put in the box is The Bowman's Daughter. Another Titan uh, <laughs> title, strangely enough, with another amazing book. <laughs> so do go and check them out. They are amazing. And you can find me, as always, over on Twitter. And that is uh, at Bloody Good Reads over on Twitter and Bloody Good Reads on Instagram. And we're now on Facebook as well. So go and come and have a little chat with us over on Facebook. Uh, if you just search Bloody Good Reads on Facebook in the group section, you'll find us on there. Uh, you can also find me every fortnight on the Snake Bite Horrorcast. Uh, we have, what time this one comes out, we'll just be releasing our episode of Alice Taylor Matthews, which was the most awful recording we've ever done <laughs> spread over three days <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> the audio didn't work it was it was a disaster but it's such a great episode so do go on it just to listen to her make Niall feel bad <laughs> but no we've got some great episodes coming up we also got our uh, our trio episode for Christmas coming up in a couple of weeks as well got some great titles for that one do check us out over there. You can find us over on Snake Bite uh, Network on Facebook. You can find me on Snake Bite Horror over on Twitter uh, and on Instagram. So many places you can catch us. So many different podcasts. And for the last, for, for, for the for the final time, I'm going to say Franchise Players Podcast is coming back. We're recording it tomorrow, so we'll be back by the time this episode's out as well. <sighs> there you go. <laughs> so much to promote. So little time. But um, thank you for listening to the podcast. I've been your host, Pat Goddard, and I'll see you soon.